Let's open our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I put 2 Timothy chapter 2, but it's really 1 Timothy chapter 2. Sorry about that. We live uh, in Warwick, or Warwick, as some of you pronounce it, and uh, we live right by the train tracks, and we live actually um, about 75 yards or less from the train tracks, and uh, you know, you can hear it. Can you hear it? can also feel it with the, when the freight trains freight trains come by. You can't feel it when the Acela goes by, but when the freight trains come by, the whole house shakes, really. It, like, it shakes the house. And, uh, but the thing about it is, is that after a while, you do get used to it. You do get used to it. Think about that for a second and, and hold that in your mind. And then you don't even hear it anymore except... except in the very middle of the night. If you're awake in the middle of the night, any of you ever awake in the middle of the night? <laughs> some, some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and you, you're, in, you're awake in the middle of the night and then you hear it and it's like, it, it sounds so loud. And, and you just go, wow, how could anybody sleep? How could you do it? But, but the thing about it is, 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 you know, during the day, you're not even thinking about it. You don't hear it anymore. We live on the flight path as well. You don't even hear that anymore either. It's like, this is just part of living in Warwick, right? But in the middle of the night, you know, I did a little bit of uh, research about the trains because it's fascinating, really, you know, but the, the fastest train in America really right now is about 150 miles an hour. But, but if you go over to Asia and, and Europe, they've been working on this for a lot longer, and uh, they uh, go in excess of 300 miles an hour, if you can imagine that. And some of them were working at going even faster than that. Uh, but there are trains that are actually going 300 miles an hour. That's like faster than NASCAR. <laughs> like, how could that be? 300 miles an hour. And they have to, you know, everything's got to be perfect for it to happen. You know, the tracks, everything's got to be just perfect. But if you can imagine this, if you can imagine a train, one of these fast trains, you know, heading full speed ahead, full speed ahead, and yet ahead, there's a bridge that's out. If you can imagine that. What's going to happen? Disaster. Disaster is absolutely certain. If you've got a train traveling that fast, they're not going to stop, right? It's not going to happen. I don't care if they're going, you know, 50 miles an hour. If the bridge is out and they don't know it and they come to that bridge, they are going to face certain disaster. They cannot stop. It will happen. So the question is, what do they need? Anybody? What do they need? Grace. They need grace, yeah. What else? They need warning. Yeah, that's really good. Warning. What else? Don't get spiritual on me now. They need what? They need safety. In other words, they need to be saved from this disaster that's coming up. And that's what I want to talk about today is to be saved, to be rescued. They need to be rescued. They need to be saved from this certain disaster. 
But what I, what I say is that, that the Bible talks about our situation as human beings, and we are in the same situation. You and I are heading for certain disaster. I don't know if you can't make that any clearer. You and I are heading for a cliff. The bridge is out, and you and I need help. We need to be warned, and we need to be rescued from that certain disaster. That's what's happening. We need to be saved. Saved, and that, you know, it's one of those spiritual words that we throw around a lot, but, you know, I want to put it in a context of, of, of reality for us that you and I, we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. We have, apart from it, we have no hope. I remember uh, years ago, and actually it was back in 1980, where a guy by the name of Bob Dylan, some of you have heard of him, uh, he, he, um, he wrote a song called Save. He wrote an album. The name of the album was called Save. And, you know, we say, well, I'm not sure where he's at today. Well, I think, I think we'd have to know him personally to know where he's at today. So I'm not going to even speculate about that. Some say that he is still a, a, a believer. But let me read to you some of the words he wrote by the, about this uh, situation. He says, I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined. Stone cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. By his grace I've been touched. By his word I've been healed. By his hand I've been delivered. By his spirit I've been sealed. He says, I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, and I'm so glad. Yes, I'm so glad. I just want to thank you, Lord. That's pretty incredible. He sums it up pretty well, doesn't he? It's the condition that you and I are all in from birth. That's what he talks about there. He knew what the Bible was saying about it. We are headed for disaster from birth. It's not because we did something. It's because of the nature of the human race, that we're all sinners. We're born in sin, David talks about. And all have sinned and fall short of the, of the, of the glory of God. And what is the, what is the sure finale of sin is death, right? The wages of sin, what sin pays us is death. And, and so every one of us are heading, we're on that track. The bridge is out. You say, why are you talking about this? You know, I, we went on vacation and uh, no, I didn't uh, think about, you know, being on disaster on my vacation. I was having much better thoughts about that. And I had, we had an excellent, wonderful time. But when I came back to do the chapel service for the kids at the school, I came back on a Thursday night, and I, and I said, man, you're crazy to do this on a Friday because, you know, you, you come back from vacation, and you need a vacation from your vacation, right? Because you're tired, like, from traveling and all that stuff. But, I, but I, I said, you know, what if there was one thing I wanted them to know for sure, what would it be? And it was this. It was this message, this thought that we're all heading for disaster, and we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. There's no, there's no way around it for the human race. This is the message. One uh, uh, <clears throat> guy defines this word, to save, to rescue from danger or dis destruction. To save, to rescue from danger or destruction. That's what this is that we're talking about here, to be rescued from danger and destruction. If you look at your verse here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first thing that I think about when I think about this idea of being saved is that God's desire, 
God's heart is that all would be saved. Say, wasn't that a bad thing that we're all heading for destruction? But God's heart is that every single one of us would be saved, rescued. And so he sent his son to make it possible. Look at, look at that verse uh, 4 and 5. He says, this is good. Excuse me. Uh, let's start in verse 3. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be what? Saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. God's de desire and God's heart is for all to be saved. You know, this, you say, this is such simple stuff, but this is the, this is the heart of the Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis all, Genesis all the way to Revelation, that God has a plan for the human race, and it, He wants us to be living with Him forever. He wants us to be rescued from our own sin, and He sent the answer, what it says here, He sent this the Savior, Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ, who came and took the form of a man. One of the things that, uh, you know, is so very clear to me when I think about it, and I know that uh, this is not really the, the humanistic way of thinking, is that, is that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We just can't do it. It's not by works. It's not by any kind of effort. It's not like in the movies. When you think about movies, I think, you know, if they had this, this scenario that I've laid out about the train coming up to this bridge being out, if you watch the movie about it, there'd be some guy on the train, probably named MacGyver or something like that, and he would figure out a way to get that train from this side over the chasm to the other side, and everybody would be rescued. By human ingenuity, by human effort, by trying to figure out what can I do to make this happen? How can I fix this situation? You know what I'm saying? In the movies, you can do anything. You ever watch, you know, you think you watch this TV show and there's a, it's a half hour show and you figure out, you know, the rifleman, he's, he's got this uh, insurmountable problem and he always figures it out in 30 minutes. Like, how does he do that? And, like, that's the formula for, for pretty much all of the television programs. They're going to figure it out, whether it's 30 minutes, one hour, or two hours. They're going to figure it out, and they're going to solve the problem, and it's going to happen, right? But you know what? Real life isn't like that. We're helpless. We are hopeless. But God's heart is that we would be saved. And so he sent his son. We don't have to save ourselves. Like Ephesians 2.8, we read this last week, is by grace you have been saved. Tony read about that passage. I don't know if you heard that word grace over and over and over again. By grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not by works. It's not by anything that we can do to be saved, to be rescued, to, to uh, change our final destination. Someone said this, and I, and I wrote this list down because I wanted to show it to you, that it's not faith plus works, which is what we kind of do. Okay, I believe in the faith part, but you know, there's part that I got to do too. 
And we've got to put that all together, and then, and then it's all going to happen here. And so we have our, our faith plus works, and these are the things that we need to do. Confirmation. How many of you have been con- confirmated? <laughs> Baptism. I hope if you're a believer, you've been baptized. Church membership. We don't even have a formal church membership here, though we do have a membership. Say, well, how does that work? Well, if you're here and you're a part and you get involved and you do what we're doing and you get involved in it, you don't necessarily have to sign on the dotted line. You, you, you vote with your feet, right, in your involvement. Church attendance. You know, I had perfect attendance for a long time, but then I got vertigo one time, and I could not come to church. You know, it was horrible. My record, I was all about keeping my record, and it didn't, you know, I failed. Communion, we're going to have communion today. How about number six, trying to keep the Ten Commandments? Trying, notice he says, to keep the Ten Commandments. Number seven, living by the Sermon on the Mount. Number eight, giving. Number nine, being a good neighbor. State Farm is there. And number 10, living a moral, respectable life. How many of you have fulfilled all of those? Any of you have fulfilled every single one of those? No, at all, in any way. <laughs> you know, if you do, I, if you have, I'd like to shake your hand. But then, you know, I, I'll pray for you because then your pride uh, just uh, knocked you off the, the platform. You see, that's the thing about it. None of us can fulfill. If it was based on a system, a, a, a list of things that we would do, and then we'll make it. I remember years ago hearing Muhammad Ali talk, you know, and he's, uh, about, about his life and, and, and how he was going to get to be with God, really. And, and he, it, he, this is what he said. He said, you know, it's pretty much about, you know, if my good works outweigh the bad, then I'm in. And that, that's the, that's the, the Muslim, uh, you know, religion and, and every other religion, really, except for Jesus and the grace of God is, is based upon some system of works, some system of earning your way. If my good works, you know, if I just do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff, then I'm in. No, it doesn't work that way. According to the Bible, any bad stuff means you're out, to put it bluntly. So that's not going to work. In fact, uh, a, a verse... Uh, or two previous in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, says, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So, so we're, we're dead. There's no way a dead person's going to get in. We have to be made alive, but it's, it's by His mercy and by His grace. It's not by what we do. So, so thinking again about this idea of the, of the chasm or the bridge being out, there, you know, we have people on one side and we have God on the other and we have this, this gap. How are we going to cross it over? And that's what he says, talks, and he talks about here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, he says, 
excuse me, verse, uh, yeah, verse 5, he says that there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's one bridge between. And it's the man Christ Jesus. It's Jesus Christ coming in the flesh and, and that he would be there for you and for me to bridge that gap that we might have eternal life. Apart from that, we have no hope, but with him, we have all the hope. You see, the cross, the cross bridges the gap. We're having communion. We're going to celebrate the cross. We're going to remember the cross, what Jesus did, because he bridged the gap from certain disaster for you and me. He bridged the gap. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for the message is the, of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. They would look at that and say, you know what? How can a man dying on a cross be helpful to anybody, right? That's foolishness and, and, and uh, weakness, talks about later in the chapter. It's foolishness, it's weakness, but, but it's actually the wisdom of God and the power of God is what he says in that chapter because God knew exactly what we needed. We talked last time about justice and we talked about mercy and we talked about grace. You know, justice God is a God of justice, and you know the justice for sin is death. The payment for sin is death. And so Jesus had to come and die to pay that payment. There was no other way for that, for that gap to be bridged. There's no other way for you and I get to get across. You know, if you don't know anything else about the Bible, we need to know that Jesus is the answer, is the way. That's all we need to know. Well, I don't know about predestination, but I do know that Jesus came and gave his life for me. Well, I don't know about, you know, exactly when Jesus is going to return, but I know that Jesus gave his life for me. He saved me. I was heading, I was, I was going to perish. I was heading for sure disaster, but he saved me. Well, I don't know about, you know, who those guys were back in Genesis chapter 6, the Nephilim and, and all that, I, you know. I don't know about all those things, but I know Jesus died on the cross for me, and he bridged the gap, and he, and he, and he made a way for me where there was no way. You know, when they go to different cultures and they, they translate the Bible for them, they always begin with the gospel, always begin with the gospel. They would know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, is it automatic? Jesus came and he died and he bridged that gap. Is it automatic? The cross is, is for everybody? No, he says that is, is it, it is to us who are being saved. It is a power of God. Well, well how does that apply? How, do we, how does it come to me? Well, well Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what we're talking about, being saved, rescued. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So those who do not call on the name of the Lord will not be saved. Those who do will be saved. It's as simple as that. But notice that word, everyone. Different verses said, to all who will, to anyone who will come. Anyone who comes, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
say, you know, you're preaching to the choir here, Rich, or Richard, as my mother would say. You're preaching to the choir here. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know I am. But you know what? We need to know this stuff because there are people that are dying all around us. And one of the things that was pointed out, they need to be warned. We were warned. I was warned, hey, listen, you're on a bad path. It wasn't necessarily put in, the, in that language, but there was, there was a warning in that. You know what? Jesus came and he, he died for you. Well, then you realize, well, why did he die for me? Well, because I was headed for uh, a Christless, godless eternity apart from him forever and ever and ever and ever. And God loved me so much that he gave his son to die for me. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we'll pick it up in verse 30. This whole uh, scenario here where Paul and and, uh, Barnabas were locked, or excuse me, Silas were locked up in the jail and... and, uh, you know, they were praying and they were singing hymns and then this earthquake came and the doors opened and the jailer came and, and thought that, you know, it was all over for you. He was actually about to commit suicide, it says in verse 27, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, verse 28, don't harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved, to be rescued? That's, you know, uh, oh, that, oh, that uh, you know, people that we know would ask us that question. Well, maybe we have to be thrown in jail. Maybe we have to go through certain circumstances that are not always pleasant. But people aren't always coming up to you and asking you and I that, but that would be pretty cool if they did, wouldn't it? I remember, I remember years and years ago, my oldest brother, who was a, he was a big-time uh, drug dealer in San Diego uh, in a huge operation. We didn't even know how huge it really was. But they were, I mean, he was driving Porsches and, and uh, all, all this kind of thing. He had all the money. He had all, you know, lived by the beach and all this stuff, you know. And uh, he was just about to get busted, and so he kind of ran to Colorado. And uh, his, the guy he worked for did get taken down. He was, he was ready to get taken down. Anyways, he went to Colorado and, and started trying to make his own way and, you know, the, doing carpentry and different things. But he got very ill, and he came back to San Diego, and I was there. Uh, my wife and I were, were there, and, and he came to me, and he said, you know what? He said, I don't know what it is, but something you have, I want to know what it is. And, and I got nervous, to be honest with you, and I thought, well, I don't know what to say. So I said, how about if you come to church with me? And that's what I said. And so I took him to church that Sunday night, the very next Sunday night, and uh, Mike McIntosh was preaching, and, and he was actually speaking out of the book of Acts, the same uh, concept that, that any would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. 
And, and uh, you know what? He was like the first one. He gave an invitation. He was, my brother was the first one to get up out of his seat and go down to the front. And then some friends of ours were there, and they got to talk to him and pray with him. Incredible. That's probably the, the only time somebody has, has made those, that kind of an approach to me where, you know, what, you know I, whatever it is you have, I want, you know. But people do see and they do watch. What must I do to be saved? What must I do? Is there any hope in this life for me? Yeah, it's found in Jesus Christ. All who call upon Him, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Look what he says there in verse 31. He said, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what it's all about. It's not doing anything. It's not giving a certain amount. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In the Old Testament, in the prophet Isaiah has these words from the Lord where God says, turn to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Turn to me and be saved. That's all it is. Believe in me, turn to me, trust in me, and be saved. Again, we're all heading for that disaster, sure and certain disaster. Turn to me, God says to every person, and be saved, be rescued. Say, well, you know, how can I ever say that to somebody? Well, that's, that's what the Bible said. We just need to share what the Bible has to say. That's all. Well, I don't know about all the rest of it, but I know that God says He wants us to be His. He wants us to be saved. One, one person said this. He said, many people today seem to have difficulty knowing what it means to believe. However, when a sinner realizes he is lost, helpless, hopeless, hell-bound, and when he is told to believe on Christ as Lord and Savior, he knows exactly what it means. It is the only thing left that he can do. Once we get to a place where we realize, you know, what hope is there for me? I don't know about you, but I was lost, and I knew I was lost. I was wandering. I was trying. I was searching for some kind of meaning in this life, searching for some kind of hope, you know, trying everything I could try. And someone said, you know what, there, there's a place that, you, you know, that you, I want you to come. And they invited me to the church. And, and I went and I said, you know what? I said, I don't understand it at all, really. But I, I said, and this is what I said to God because I have such a way with words. I said, God, if you really are who they say you are, then I want to give you a chance in my life. I am going to give him a chance in my life. And he just kind of chuckled. I could hear it. No, I couldn't hear it. But, but he, he answered my prayer. And he came into my life. And you know what? I, I, knew, I knew things were different. Things had changed in my life. And from then on, everything has been perfect. My life has been a dream. And then I woke up each and every day, right? Life is not easy, but, but I, I have a Savior. I have a hope that I didn't have before. I have a hope of eternal life that I didn't have before. I've been rescued. So 
That's why I said last week, I'm a blessed man. I'm, I'm a blessed person. Not only that, that is the biggest thing, but every other thing that God has blessed me with by His grace. It's the only thing left that I could do. I knew that. I knew that. And then I stopped searching. I didn't have to search anymore. I didn't have to try any more drugs or any more weird religions and weird stuff. I found I found it, but the actual truth is is that he found me. I thought I found him, but he found me, right? Turn back uh, to Acts chapter 4. We'll finish with these verses, or this verse actually, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's no other way. There's no other way. You know, and it doesn't bother me when people say, oh, you're being so narrow-minded. You're being, you know, you, you just, it's, it's this Jesus thing. Well, Yeah. There's no way to get across that chasm. There's no way to get across that bridge. There's no other you know, way that you and I can be saved. That's what the Word of God teaches very, very clearly. Jesus said it Himself. This is what we're reading here in the preaching here uh, of Peter in Acts chapter 4. There's no other way. There's no other bridge. There's no other way across. But the human condition is such that we would like to figure out a way. Well, we're going to build a little bridge across there. We're going, to, we're going to get the ropes out, or we're going to toss them across. And then we're going to, you know, do that, that uh, guy, what's his name, that does, he walks across the rope on the buildings in New York City. I'm going to get across on a rope. Good luck. Not going to happen. I'd be scared to death to try that anyways. No other way across, no other bridge. We read it in 1 Timothy. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So the question we have to ask is, are we safe? Have we been rescued? Are we saved? We have to start with ourselves first. And then the second question is, again, this idea of warning. Uh, You know, we need to let others know that the bridge is out. How else are they going to know? That's what Paul said in Romans 10. How else are they going to know unless someone tells them that the bridge is out? How else will they know that the bridge is out, that that Jesus is the bridge? And again, to the world, and and we read it in 1 Corinthians, you know, to the world and to those that that are not uh, uh, in the process of being saved, it sounds like foolishness. It makes no sense. But you know what? It's the power of God, the cross. And that's why we're going to celebrate communion right now because we're celebrating the cross and the bridge that Jesus gave to you and to me. We're remembering what we have in Him, that His rescue, that He saved us, that He he bridged that gap for you and me. And how did He do it? He did it by the cross. No other way. No other way. The cross. Let's pray together, shall we?